0: Welcome to the Woodall Wellness Podcast, where husband and wife team, Dr. Mark and Anissa Woodall, explore topics from movement and nutrition to parenting and sustainability and everything in between. Learning from mentors and thought leaders with one goal to help create a better world. Dr. Mark Woodall is a licensed naturopathic physician practicing integrative and functional medicine, helping to heal simple and complex chronic illnesses.
1: Anissa Woodall is a holistic certified nutritionist with the aim to inspire women to live, eat, and move with intention and confidence. Both of us work with patients in Issaquah, a suburb of Seattle, Washington, and online. You can learn more about us at our website, woodallwellness.com. Hi, it's Dr. Mark Woodall from the Woodall Wellness Podcast. I wanted to give you a little intro about today's guest before we get into the interview. You see, he isn't famous yet. He doesn't have some awesome product we love, but instead, he might be just like you, an American trying to live the American dream of making a brighter future for himself, loved ones, and the planet. The only thing that's different about today's guest is the color of his skin and the tattoos on his body. He's also been roughed up by the police more than a few times. You see, after the murder of George Floyd, I, like many Americans, felt outraged by the atrocity, and yet prior to this, I had done nothing, and that needed a change. I was at work one day, and I decided that Austin Kahn, who at the time was a phlebotomist for Quest Diagnostics, which rented out a suite, in our medical building in Issaquah was that perfect guest to give a voice and a platform to share his stories and his experiences with the world. I hope that his stories and the experiences that he has lived in regards to race, prejudice and disrespect, connect with you in a way that moves this conversation and the actions surrounding it in a positive and forward direction. So without further ado, please welcome Austin Khan. Austin, welcome to the Woodall Wellness Podcast. Thanks so much for uh, agreeing to share your experiences and stories. We're really excited to have you here.
2: Thank you, man. Um, Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, so Anissa and I really wanted to invite you onto this podcast because in listening to some of our personal conversations throughout the last um, just few months, I've really gotten to know a little bit about your story and I think that your story is a really um, great theme for uh, life in America today. And when I say that, I wanna start off by if you would share a story with us about your 10-year-old cousin, if I'm getting that right. Now, the background behind this for our listeners is this was just after um the whole incident around george floyd's death taking place and you come home from work and you and i were working in the same medical building and you come home and your cousin i think it is asks you a question can you set us up for that scene and what that question was and what that meant to you at a deeper level
2: absolutely um it was my the nephew, okay? like my godson. and I went over like to visit like the family, you know, like and check on everybody like during this time. And then um, my nephew's mom asked me to talk to my nephew. So we started talking and and then he asked me, point blank, am I going to get killed by the police? Why do they hate us? What did that man do to get kneeled on for so long? Are they going to kill me? And I was kind of taken back because it's always a question in the back of my mind personally, anytime I have an interaction, but for someone to be 10 years old, to have the consciousness to even ask that question really took me back and it hurt. But I had to say that, like I had to say no because You can't expect a 10-year-old to grasp that, you know, not everybody's bad when all we're being shown is tapes and videos and stories about lynchings and police murders, and it's just hard to be able to say, like, the right thing.
0: And we're not seeing the... You know the many people, the occurrences of the police who are respecting um, people and not yeah. not killing them.
2: It definitely feels that whenever we need a good cop, they're not there. I know that that's not true, but it definitely feels with all of the media that that is like the situation.
1: Yeah when i when I heard that story and when you told that story to me the next day, basically right after this happened, um, it just absolutely like took a dagger to my heart because um, no ten year old boy or girl needs to question whether or not the police is going to harm them, and this just is such a um A polarizing topic that I really hope that today we can you know share some of your stories your personal stories as well as maybe some solutions you have but before we do that take us back to your childhood and your own experiences where did you grow up and what was life like for you during that time
2: Um, I grew up in California um, I came to Washington when I was 12, 11 or 12, um, growing up, you just are told to, to just be respectful, like to the police, to just do whatever they ask even if you didn't like do anything just don't question it ever just do as you're told Um, when I was 13 or 14 I went to visit my friend who lived in a nicer neighborhood and when I was leaving like I walked like a couple blocks like and the cops pulled up and they Asked me, like, what I was doing, like, where I was from, and then they got out, like, and they slammed me on top of the car, like, cuffed me, like, and I'm 13, 14, like, years old, like, I just, like, visited, like, my friend.
0: Was this the first time you had experienced um, something like that?
2: Like, the first major. Yeah. You know, as a kid, like the cops like would come up and, you know, like scold us or whatever, like and for usually never really like a reason, but like it never was bad. Like it was just like, oh, whatever. But this was the first time that I ever experienced that. And like, I didn't know like what to do. I thought it was not normal, but I didn't really know that it was like a big deal because we had been told about stories of people getting you know, um, like roughed up. So I never told anybody that, but like that was the first time like I ever like experienced anything like that. And then I learned from that day on that your zip code determines how you get treated. When it comes to those kind of encounters,
0: maybe, wow. Um, can you share a little, a little bit about your, um, your history, your heritage, um, and and how you feel like that has, um, maybe, played played a role in in influencing some of these experiences?
2: Yeah, um, my mom is. Uh, Like my mom is uh, Caucasian, and uh my dad is um Caribbean and it was it's hard growing up being two different like races in the sense that growing up, I was told that I was too white for this group like or too. Ethnic like for that group and I just never really as a kid. I didn't really fit into any group like I always had like a couple friends, but like as the um, Majority I never really like fit in until like high school Um, And Like, and having, like, lighter skin definitely makes you not fit in with the ethnic community because they look at you like you're tainted or something, like, sometimes, like, depending, like, on the group of people. It's very, it's very confusing sometimes.
0: That was a... Um, Something that we had listened to the book, um, Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, and he kind of shares those same sentiments of, you know, not being quite black enough or quite white enough to to fit in with any any particular, um, you know, group in that it can be very isolating in that way, where by color, it's like, you know, from the outer perspective, you don't quite fit in.
1: Yeah, and and so you're learning, and I mean, was 12 and 13 the first time that that issue really, you know, was front and center in your upbringing, or was this something that has always been there? And
0: Well, you've been told the stories, but was it something you had seen?
2: I mean, as I've seen... Before that, like, I had seen people get, like, like, you know, harassed or, you know, arrested for nonsense, but I never really saw, like, pure violence, I guess, or pure um, discrimination until I was older. And... As a child, you're not really looking for it either. You know, like if you see it, like you saw it, but I never sought it out as a kid. But as you get older, it's hard to ignore things like that. Yeah.
1: And that was just the first incident where you got slammed on a car after hanging out with your friend in a nicer neighborhood because. The context of how that cop saw you was this person doesn't belong here, they must obviously be doing something wrong.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, throughout my whole life, I've been slammed on the ground, I've been slammed on cop cars, I've been cuffed more times like than I can count, all for nothing. Like, you know, um, like they'll um, um, rough you up a bit, you know like slam you whatever like step on you but like they always usually like let you go because they know that you didn't do anything wrong they just wanted to show their dominance and let you know like they're there
0: so we've been talking a little bit about kind of like the um superiority that you maybe have that you have experienced with um with more of the um authoritarian positions right like police and things like that um what about just like general civilian kind of encounters is that was that something that you witnessed because you were um you were in southern california right yeah okay and um in, in the in the neighborhoods that where, where you were living, um, was that something at all that you experienced? Or
2: um
1: Like how it? did racism weave its way into your life, not just from a like cop civilian, but also just from like regular neighbors? And how did racism affect that?
2: Um, when I was younger, between the ages of like two and six, I actually lived in uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas. And uh, my mom would tell me stories about people would just walk up and ask her what it's like to have a ethnic child or a bi-racial child. And some, like it's the South, so, they're not always the coolest about that kind of stuff. But my mom said, like, it was very un uncomfortable and very... So, I mean, it's always been a thing. Just maybe as a kid, I didn't realize that that was a weird stuff to ask somebody. Um, But I think it's always played a part. Um, working in the medical field, like, I've had multiple patients treat me not the nicest but 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 then uh, give us examples of this
1: like what does this look like because again Um, like you're a phlebotomist by training right and so people are coming to you to have their blood drawn you're providing them a a service and something that you know um, is trying to help them and what you're saying is is that they're actually disrespectful
2: Yeah, um, sometimes, like, uh, they'll yell at you or they'll have, like, a disgusted attitude, like, towards you, but then you ask the other providers that encountered them and they'll say, like, they're the sweetest people in the world, but they treated me with the nasty, disgusted attitude or or um, like I even had um people um ask if there's anybody else, that they can draw like their blood. Um, I've I've had people just straight um refuse, like a blood draw like from me.
1: Meaning, you walk out to get them to get um, to have them come back into your office so that you can draw their blood, and upon seeing you. Based on the color of their of your skin, they're saying, "No thanks, I don't want to have my blood drawn by by you today."
2: Yeah, um, like that's happened, or if I'm doing draws inside of an office where they don't like see me first, let I just walk in to the room like to draw the blood, um, let they'll ask me to leave sometimes. And it's usually, generally speaking, older people. Okay. Um, probably, like, 60s and above. Okay. Um, usually it's not, like, younger people. Um, usually they're pretty tolerant, like, and understand that there's other people in the world. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. So... Basically, what you're sharing with us is that racism has basically pierced every part of your life from, you know, your work, your your social life, your home life.
2: Yeah, um, it's definitely touched on every aspect of my life in some way, like shape or form. At home, not so much. I have pretty solid people around like me at home. But as soon as you like leave like your home, it's mm-hmm. open season, man. Anything like can happen. Um, I just try to stay out of that. And so I'm curious. One of
1: the things that I want to talk about later in, in brainstorming solutions or ideas um both big and small, that might be helpful to move our whole culture in a better direction. Um, but it revolves around your in- interactions with the police. Um, I don't know. Has have these interactions where you've been roughed up and slammed on cars? Is it where there is always? It's just a uh, a white officer,
2: or female or male, or is there ever other Let me tell you, man, ethnic officers of any race will rough you up harder than any white cop could ever rough you up?
0: Hmm. Why do you think that is? I wouldn't expect that.
2: Um If there's two cops, like and one of them is of the Caucasian race and one of them is brown or black or Asian or something, they definitely want to show off for their fellow officer.
0: To prove that they're, I don't know, just as. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, and oftentimes, like, the ethnic officer will be so upset, like, the. the that he had like to do like this to another like ethnic person that they just like whoop you harder. Um, but it definitely is something that happens. Um, yeah. So maybe like that, that is
1: super, I I had no idea to say the least. And, one of my ideas which basically sounds like you might not be in favor of was to try to have more diversity in police groups where you have someone who maybe is from latino descent african-american and a caucasian and so that when they're out together you can try to mitigate some of that what you're saying is your experience in that arena has actually
2: been
0: Proven
1: proven the opposite
2: Yeah, um, but I do want to say I have had good, good interactions like with the cops before. You, you know, it's not always bad. It's not always terrible. Like I've actually met a couple like really great cops. But at the end of the day, there's a few bad apples, yes, but these are jobs where there can't be any bad apples. Mm. And that's the problem. But like a lot of people want to say, you know, why don't like the good ones tell or, 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 Stand you know, up or... yes, exactly. And then, you know, you look at people like Chris Dormer, who, was in the military. They did everything right. Great soldier. Great man. They became a cop. Great cop. Good man. He was executing a search warrant like with his partner, which he deemed that that his partner used excessive force. So he went and like and filed a complaint. And then shortly after that, he was fired as a cop. He tried every legal avenue that he could. On the last try, failed, wrote a manifesto and said that he was going to wage war on the cops. Ended up shooting two cops and then shot a cop's child, like daughter, and went like and hid out. When they found him, over 300 cops came and they obviously like lit him up, but they all came because one of their own got hurt and... I don't understand why they can't see why a group of people is mad because one of their own got hurt. Mm. And so diversity would be great, but they can't be bad apples. Like, and that's the hard part is how do you do that? How do you like separate them like from the rest? And I think that that's one of the biggest things like in America like that we have to brainstorm like and figure out like whether it's education, whether it's more training, whatever the case may be, you actually like what's crazy is you have to have more hours as a beautician than a police officer. The nail, Lady has more training than the person that protects me.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, um gonna let that silence just speak for itself. Um so so you're talking about training, right? And um like this this issue runs so pervasive throughout our history throughout the world's history and uh our culture and in law enforcement and so there totally needs to be more training um, any other ideas around police brutality that you feel like would be helpful
2: I think that. You know, um a big common trend um going around right now, like is people talking about defunding the police, which sounds like like you're just gonna like strip away all cops right That's not the case, right. you just have to redistribute like the money, and you know a lot of these police involved killings are mental welfare checks. You know, um, th- like there that- was one yeah. um, incident where a lady was playing video games with her nephew in her house. She accidentally left the front door open. Someone called the cops because, you know, it was weird. And the cops came and killed her in her house, playing, playing games with her nephew. The police do not know how to handle mental crisis. They just aren't trained on that. And oftentimes these killings are people going through mental like crises at that moment. Whether it's like schizophrenia or drugs or anything. Whatever the case may be. On the
0: police's end? No, on the uh, civilian.
2: Yeah, on the, the civilian. civilian's end. So, if you're having a mental crisis, you're not thinking straight. So, you're not always going to comply because you're going through a crisis. Which cops just end up shooting that person. Defunding the police police would have trained people that are not cops, respond to nonviolent, like welfare checks or something, you know, like it could be like, as easy as just talking to them and like, and having like the training to know how to handle that like situation. And I'm a big supporter of that. Um, I think that that's great because like a crisis, like counselor has more training in that avenue than a cop does.
1: Yeah, this, this really brings up a, th- um, a memory that I have of a, a documentary by the filmmaker Michael Moore. And he did a film called um, Where to Invade Next. And it is a bad, bad title for a really good movie. And this movie is Michael Moore's attempt to go around the world and find what each country does really, really well and try to bring that idea back to America. And Portugal is the country that he... Identifies for how their cops um, and police work.
0: They don't have guns.
1: They don't have guns in Portugal on a lot of the cops on the streets. And so, what I'm, I guess, what I'm hearing you say is we need to redistribute, and some people could say defund, but you want to take some of that money that's going to police officers. And basically create a whether you want to call it a, a subdivision of the police or a whole new branch of of people who are do not have guns, they don't even have tasers, and they are well trained in mental crises to try to de escalate situations where not having a gun is an advantage in preventing things happening.
2: Absolutely. Okay.
1: Yeah, this, um, you got me thinking about a bunch of different ideas right now with, um, with law enforcement and where to go and, I really hope that meaningful change can like starts moving in positive directions. One of the steps that people have tried to take is this whole idea of um, cameras on the body armor. But then you start seeing these. You start hearing reports of... Well, they just turn them off. Yeah, they just get turn them off, off or this is malfunctioned. Conveniently. And all of a sudden it's like right before everything is about to goes down, these cameras go blank. Can you share a little bit of thoughts around this? Uh, I've got my own thoughts, but I first want to hear from I you. I mean,
2: the ones that don't turn off, I have seen many, many tapes of... Like, and there's lots of autopsies that show that that a lot of these people were shot in the back. How are you scared of something that's not facing you? Um, or, or if they're running away, you don't need to shoot them. Like you can catch them another time, but you have people and most of these things happen within 15 seconds. I mean, you know, you have someone like Dylan Roof who walked into a church and killed nine people, nine, for being black. And the cops somehow managed to take, take him in peacefully and even treated him to Burger King afterwards. There was a man jogging in Georgia... That got killed for jogging. Right. My like, Dylan Roof got Burger King.
0: Yeah,
1: I, I I think that there needs to be some kind of widespread policy where you know if there is a malfunction then your 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 badge is on the line and you're done. And there needs to be a zero tolerance for any type of scenario where um, the technology is failing. Like this needs to be fully vetted from the tech side so that we know that these devices are basically, uh, they're not gonna fail and that there needs to be oversight to prevent you know, people from turning cameras off or from doing this. And if you do that, it's an automatic—you've lost your badge. You have—you have no defense whatsoever because your only defense is the ability to have your camera on all the time and to demonstrate what is actually happening.
2: Um, I would agree with that, one hundred percent. But I personally like this. Is just my personal belief that I feel that they function exactly how they want them to function Um, because I think that from a police perspective if they didn't turn those off we would be having a much different like conversation right now Um, I mean it's hard I can ask 10 of my friends right now if any of their friends have ever been killed by the police. Personally, I can name three people. Um, I would say probably eight out of 10 of my friends can name someone murdered or severely assaulted or framed or anything negative, probably eight out of 10 of them could probably participate in that like conversation. And that's an alarming number when, when ethnic people are just a small fraction of the population. That's what the problem is, is that we're such a small fraction of the population and we're getting slaughtered in such high numbers. And it's not just black people. It's brown people. It's it's all races. Um, Since the covid happened, like attacks on Asian-Americans have skyrocketed because people want to blame them for it. Um, but I think above all else, I think that in our inner city communities, we need more mental health work. We need more trauma work because a majority of our lives are just one big trauma. Um. Whereas we, we're not given the same opportunities as certain other groups of people, and we're just disenfranchised, like in a lot of ways. Let's elaborate. I, yeah, go ahead.
0: I was just gonna say, I think, you know, um, I almost want to ask for more. Like, yes, we need mental health care, you know, health care we need you know trauma support but that can't be all we're asking for you know and I know that's not all you're asking for but you know to just think that like um we need to decrease the trauma you prevent the trauma from happening right so like how can we create situations um
2: but if we increase mental health like in trauma these people could have hopes to break that cycle. Right. Because as minorities, we live in a cycle since slavery. You have, there's a document written by a former slave owner. Like it was like a memo, a letter, whatever you want to call it, like an instruction guide on how to break your slaves, how to break them and just really own them. And in that letter, one of the biggest things is to remove the family unit, meaning that you take away the dad and and you only have the mom and the child like and these slave owners would do awful things um and it was just a guide on how like to break them and and a lot of the points in that memo still hold true in the urban household today Mm. and what do
0: you mean by the urban household
2: Whether it's black, brown, anybody. So the missing
1: father figures, is that what you're...
2: It's a big part of of how they broke it, like in slavery, and just like it's carried on for like generations, that mindset for generations and generations. And the mental health stigma is there's no such thing. Um, well that there is no mental health, like um, like there is no depression, there is no bipolar, there is no anything, there is no like mental health like crisis, so we're taught that like that's just not a thing.
0: so you just ignore it and move on,
2: and let like, you just stuff that shit inside mm-hmm. and just keep going. um My dad, for example. He told me, like, to suck it up, like, multiple times. Um, And we've become, like, a society that... Like, it seems like every week, like, there's a new murder to talk about, you know? Like, a new tape. And we've become so desensitized to it that it's just normal.
0: And now I think society has hit this threshold... Where more and more people are finally asking for it to stop.
2: Yes. And, but at the same time, there needs to be a lot more education for those that want to, you know, learn. Mm
0: -hmm. I think on the topic of education, I think a big area where we can... Um, create better opportunities, you know, because you talked about, you know, the importance of providing more opportunities for people. Um, You know, I really think it's, there needs to be a shift in how schools are funded, you know. Um, A lot of times schools are funded based on the property taxes, you know, of (laughs) essentially if you live in a wealthy neighborhood, the schools are going to be you know, offering more opportunities for the kids who go there. And so even if it's a public school, there's not, um, it's not truly equal. And, um, and that's one of the things that is really such a sign of, you know, sign of privilege for those who can afford to live in a good zip code, right? Everybody's always talking about, oh, I want to move to this zip code because the, the schools are better there. And yes. it shouldn't be based on zip code, I think if we can create an opportunity, um, you know, and this is done through, through policies and, you know, electing people who, who get this, but, um, I think it really, we really need to be providing equal, literally equal opportunity, no matter where you live, no matter, you know, what kind of family you come from.
2: And I think a lot of people have, been traumatized so much that like we're told that like i've had teachers tell me that i wasn't gonna be like anything be because of who my friends were or this or that or whatever but they don't expect us it like if there's no expectation of you then what makes you want to drive harder you know what i mean Like, if you're only expected the bare minimum, like, why would you work harder? Because that's what, like, the world, like, expects of you. And schools in the inner city, their graduation rate is so poor, it's so low, that, like, they don't get the funding because... Like, their test scores aren't good. Like, this isn't good. So, there's a lot of inequality there. Um,
1: or the kids have to go and work to support the family with after-school jobs, and therefore they don't have the time to right. devote to their education, like someone who doesn't have to yeah. support the family financially.
2: But if you're good at, like, sports, well, let people care about you. Right. Um... L- like if you can rap or like make like music like people care about you like if you're a big time like drug dealer like people care about you but it's the people that don't fall into those categories that people forget about Mm -hmm. people forget about John John that wants to be like an astronaut you know they get put on the back burner because the values that we hold are in sports and music and, you know, like having nice stuff.
0: I think that's such an important idea to to bring up because I think you're right. There really is such a stereotype of like, um, you know, where we're like, as, as white people or as an, as an American culture, like where we expect black people to be. And, um, and like they're, it's only okay if they fit into these categories and, you know, um, and it's really like, I, I, I know I've, I've thought about that, but I think it, it really does. Um, you know, it's interesting how you're, how you're bringing that up as like a what about the rest of us type of thing? Like, what if we don't fall into that rapper athlete type of category?
2: And from your peers perspective, like if you're nerdy or, you know, like whatever you want to call it, like you get made fun of, like it's not cool. Like to be book smart, Mm. but Everybody just gets so caught up in what they think that they're supposed to be and Mm. like what it is is completely different. So we've touched on a
1: couple of interesting themes so far which is this idea of... One of your ideas is to try to um, change resources uh, to create different branches to help people with mental health, crisis, things like this, areas that are actually being, like potentially losing funding or not getting enough funding to begin with. Um, I mean, the mental health conversation has continued to be a conversation and not an action for far too long, especially under this administration. Um, There's also this theme of values And we were talking before we were recording this about values, about family over materialism. Can you just touch on that experience of your heritage from Trinidad and the um, differences upon when you're in Trinidad versus in the United States about what you see people valuing?
2: In America, people define their worth based on what kind of car they drive, like where they live, you know, what job they have. But they forget that there's a lot of things in life that money can't buy. And in Trinidad, or they value the things that money can't buy, which is your family, you know just enjoying life and going like with the flow of life and you know just having a honest day but here everyone's waiting for the next thing but people don't take the time to realize that their car could get like repoed tomorrow Their house, like, could get, like, foreclosed on, like, tomorrow. But the other stuff, no matter what, like, that's there to stay. Like, your family's always going to be like your family. Mm. So there's no...
0: Sometimes it takes having less distraction, less stress, you know, to be able to... Really value those those values, right? To have um, family and community, and um, you know, and what I would what I would maybe categorize even more as like a, a spiritual well being rather than like a material well being.
1: Right? Yes. Yeah.
0: This was this was a for us, you know definitely a different, a different type type of topic that we've, that we've explored. You know, a lot of times we're talking about nutrition and we're talking about food and, you know, movement and things like that. But I really think, you know, wellness is such a, it's an umbrella term, right? So we have, (laughs) we have physical wellness, we have spiritual wellness, we have community wellness. And I think this is really, this falls into that category because if if we think of the human body or think of the world like the human body and, you know, the, if the heart is aching, right? If the heart is diseased, then the rest of the body is going to be affected, right? And so if we have one race or one, you know, group of people who are suffering, then that will affect everyone else, um, one way or another. And so I think it's really just so critical to really to see this as like we're we're all we are all one.
1: <laughs> so I want to I want to continue our conversation around the change and what what things you see as potentials in moving forward from where our country lies today. Any other areas sections that we can
2: we can move forward uh, that we haven't talked about yet I just feel that like right now is a very overwhelming time because a lot of people within, my, my life, my community are so overwhelmed with like what to do, like how to help, you know, like what, like what to, like where to um, put their foot in the door. And I think that's the hardest part is just knowing, cause like any. Any, like, movement's gonna have different jobs, different lanes, you know? So it's important to find, like, if this is something, like, that you wanna get, like, involved with is finding your lane in the movement. Not everybody's gonna be there, like, shaking signs, you know, like, and screaming. Some people gotta, like, answer phones, you know? Like, you know, uh, there's so many different avenues, just getting the resources out. So like people know is probably one of the biggest changes like that we could have. Um, it was either yesterday or Monday. There was a group of families of people that had been, um, murdered by the police. And I think it was read by, led by one of my sincere idols, Lee Merritt Esquire. And they sat down, like, with President Trump and attorney, like, William Barr. And they had dialogue. And I think that that's important. Um, I think that there just needs to be a lot of conversations where people don't hear things they listen that's the difference like you could hear a thousand stuff but it's when you listen that real change can be be um introduced um but i also feel that us minorities have created a culture where Caucasian people are scared to ask questions because of the backlash or like, you know, like people like thinking like this or that. And that's a like, that's a atmosphere that like we need to work on because everyone needs to communicate no matter what views you have on any of this, we all need to communicate. Whether the, whether we agree is, like, irrelevant. We just need to have, like, conversation and just keep fighting because, like, this isn't going to go, like, go away at any time soon.
1: If you were president or in some strong position of power, what is the first one or two things you would want to do? What would you do? Not want to do. You get to change one or two things. What? Do, and no one can stop you from changing
2: them. What moves the needle for you? I think the biggest one, man, is I would invest. I would invest in the communities that people deem unsavory, unfavorable, unanything, anything because those are where, like, the heart is, you know, and gentrification has killed a lot of that, um, so it's important to invest in the, the communities that aren't thought of as great because there's so much great because growing, growing up, you know, certain areas like the cops didn't want to come, like nobody gave a shit. But now because of gentrification, it's like it's acceptable again. I want to get those communities acceptable again without having to kick people out. Because there's so much to harvest from those, like, communities. You got so much history, so much heart, like, so much pride. And the and America has constantly shown these areas that, you know, we don't really care. Like, we're just going to give you enough, like, to just keep going. But there's so much to like invest in there that I would have to say that that's probably the number one. Number two is there needs to be more mentorship and opportunities for the younger generation to see that there's other ways to make it and just meet other successful people. That look like them. Mm. That's the critical part is you have all of these counselors that are Caucasian or, you know, like something else. But these people want to talk to someone that looks like them. They don't want to talk to Karen. Like they want to talk to someone from their race that understands their culture because there's. There's a lot of just unspoken things that, like, I personally understand because of my culture, like, but you just may not necessarily know. And I think that's important. I I don't have the right answers. I have ideas, but I don't really think that there's a right answer per se. I think it's going to be a lot of trial and error, which at the same time, we don't necessarily have that much time, like, to keep trying and, like, failing on things. Um, I mean, you're talking about a history of people that, when they were freed, were still only, like, considered three-fifths of a person, and that wasn't really that long ago, like, to be honest with you, and so... I took a trip to, um, Kentucky, and I went to the marketplace downtown where they used to have slave auctions, and that wasn't that, like, long ago, and to stand there and just know what, what had happened there was so powerful, and again, wasn't that long ago. Right. So... And you have different sections of America that are more progressive than others, less progressive, you know. So I don't know if we'll ever come together like as a whole, but I think that there needs to be a lot of protection policies in place so that things like this cannot happen. Like in the state of Georgia, where, where that... Um, a jogger mm-hmm. like yeah. was gunned down. Right, Z- Like the people that killed him yelled like racial slurs. That's a hate crime. But in Georgia there's no such law as a hate crime. So they can't charge it as a hate crime. It has to federally like get picked up as a hate crime. You know and that's Another problem is why, why is there no hate crime law there? Like, that's not okay. So there's, you know, and for instance, NASCAR just banned all, all um Confederate flags. We are the only country that isn't sorry for what we've done. If you look at Germany, they don't talk about, like, the Holocaust because they're sorry for it. Well,
1: I mean, they talk about it, but it's to educate in a
2: way to show how atrocious this time was. They don't glorify it. Yeah. And we still have a huge population of people that want to glorify things, you know and they scream, like, it's American history. Well, yeah, but...
0: Are we proud of it?
2: (laughs) But you lost. So, like, you're just celebrating being a loser? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So it's that mentality of... Or or to just,
1: yeah, take it just a step further, and I think maybe, to me, connects a little bit stronger, like... No kid in, you know, in Germany other than some extreme white yeah. neo yeah. 99% of Germans are not, you know, wearing their swastika bands around their arms and, you know, talking about, you know, the Nazi days. Like, they are educated about what their history... Ha- what happened in their history. They were taught about how these things are not okay were extremely um, just wrong from a humanitarian perspective and to do better and yes. and to move and to do better as a society and a culture and that they
2: are better than their history I will say that the one thing America didn't didn't count on in regards to the police would be they didn't expect us to always have access to cameras (laughs) like your video recording iPhones yeah yeah so anything
0: and now because now it's a whole thing
2: where like you can record anything so now things are being more broadcasted and this is now the time that we have to have these talks because like now there's proof you know, and
0: before it was happening, just yeah, the recordings
2: exactly. Yeah,
1: there is so much I think that we can. Um, I mean, this this is a never ending. I mean, I hope one day that this is a conversation that we look back on, just like Germany tries to look back on and has moved forward, um, and. I really want to thank you for coming and sharing your experience. You know, I, there are two things that I just keep coming back to in my, in my mind is, one, you brought up earlier that you've personally known three people that have been killed by the police, and that eight out of ten of your community could easily come up with the same number. I personally can't think of a single person in my in my world, in my circle, that I could say the same thing about. And to me, that just embodies the whole disparity about how different our lives have been and how that impacts mental health and the traumas for the youth and all the future generations to come. Um, Are there any closing thoughts that you have?
2: Man, um, I would just say that we as a country, not just, you know, race or anything, we just, we've lost what made a community for example like after 9 11 like we were americans you know like everybody like americans like america strong but that's because america got attacked as a whole so we rallied for our people when it happens to the brown or black or Asian community only one group gets mad that's the difference like American as a whole like we were strong but then that's where the divide is is that not everybody sees a certain group as them and that group doesn't see them and this group doesn't see that. And then before we know it, we have this super disbanded community. You know, it's just like that Chris Dorner thing. 300 cops came because one of their own got hurt. But they can't fathom Why we're doing it. Eight minutes. And 46 seconds. That man. Was kneeled on. Eight minutes and 46 seconds. Within that. Eight minutes and 46 seconds. He called. For his dead mother. That man knew. What was going to happen to him. For eight minutes and 46 seconds. And. And. It's devastating. It is the worst, one of the worst videos I've ever seen in my life. But we're rallying behind it. But people can't understand why. Because they don't see that group as part of them because we're human. And I just think that all of us have to do better. You know, and it takes a lot of work and a lot of participation and a lot of thoughts, but eventually I think that we could live in a place where where it co exists better. But until we band as a group or just want the change more than like we realized it could happen
1: well Austin thank you so much for coming on and I hope that we continue this conversation and have you on again because um, there are several things that we didn't even talk about that I would love to um, have a deeper conversation with you on and I just ask for anyone who's listening to please just reflect on, you know, what Austin has shared in his experience and to realize the humanity that is being displayed here and the vulnerability and um, to reflect on ways that you can be better as a human and as an individual.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, share, and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Follow us at Woodall Wellness Podcast on Instagram. Anissa can be found on Instagram at Anissa Woodall Nutrition, and Dr. Mark can be found on Twitter at drwoodallnd. Subscribe to Anisa's Wellness Wednesday newsletter and get her free guides, Top Five First Foods for a Nourished Baby, and top five tips for cycle-induced sugar and carb cravings on her website, anisawoodall.com forward slash free download. Now get ready for that fun disclaimer.
1: This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or any other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed, The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast are at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is not intended to be a substitute to professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition that they have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for such conditions.